0: People say like, do you prepare your sets? And I'm like, I do something like for radio and stuff, but when it's a crowd, it's it's interactive almost. Oh my God, this is going to sound so corny, but it's like a conversation. Like you interviewing, you can't just go with questions and then just ask one through 10 or whatever.
1: Welcome to Making Conversation with me, Grant Bryden, a podcast about music, creativity and careers. For this series, I've sat down with a range of artists and creative professionals in order to learn about how their unique experiences and perspectives can help us in our own creative and business practices. For this episode, I spoke to DJ and promoter Oh Annie Oh. Annie was born in Korea, grew up in Toronto and moved to London for university with dreams of becoming a fashion designer. However, she fell in love with the city’s club and music scenes and began working in the music industry while promoting and DJing on the side. Now a full-time DJ, she runs her night dreams parties and has monthly shows at Rinse and Foundation FM. We spoke about the different approaches she takes to playing in clubs and on the radio, and how she’s had to constantly step out of her comfort zone in order to progress with her career. What was your like first memory of music, not necessarily like nursery rhymes and stuff like that, but just yeah. some sort of music that you connected to?
0: It's so funny that you say that, because the first thing that came to my mind was when I was, I think I must have been like three or four and I can't, was it Aladdin Right. or some Disney song? And I was like dancing around my house, listening to that. Yeah. And, like, trying to do, like, ballet and shit.
1: Right. <laughs> and then what, I guess, like, popular music-wise, oh. beyond w- what? No, like, no, but it still counts, still obviously.
0: Yeah. My first album that I bought yeah. was Robin. Okay. Before Robin is Robin now. She yeah. was, like, a, well, she's a pop star now, but, like, she did this song called Show Me Love. Do you remember? Yeah. That? Show me love. Show me... Right, right? Huh? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that was the first <laughs> CD I bought. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the biggest, like, pop stars. I was really into pop. I'm still really into pop yeah. music. Because
1: um, you're into the Spice Girls, right? Which was surely before Robin? 97.
0: Robin, Show Me Love is 97. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Spice Girls was around that time. Okay. Right? 97, 98. But yeah spice girls i was obsessed i had like all the cards that postcards that weren't postcards they were just pictures yeah i think about I it now I'm like, what actually. are what are they even like they were just pictures
1: yeah but and you could like trade them. them i guess yeah i traded them yeah my sister had those yeah
0: it's mad because when you think about the spice girls you just think it's such a big chunk in music like history yeah but it's, they were active like two years
1: yeah. It's not mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, think that's
0: crazy. But then when you're like seven, that's like a third of your life, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess. So then from from that, what other pop music and what other music were you getting into?
0: Oh, I was like right when like Britney and Christina, that dominated a lot of my childhood. And like boy bands as well. I remember singing along to Backstreet Boys. Yeah. I used to, th- my closet, there used to be like one on the bottom left side you can like push all the clothes and i used to go in there and like sing because i wanted to be a pop star (laughs) i did audition to be in a k-pop group
1: did you yeah how old
0: like not that young (laughs) i think i I was like 12 or 13
1: because you were born in korea and i was born in south
0: korea and then my family we moved to toronto when i was six
1: okay so you were in toronto when you yeah auditioned
0: because these koreans they like send over like, agents and shit. Right. To, like, audition kids.
1: But, but the K-pop career never...
0: It never took off. Never took so off. Weird. Not yet. <laughs> so weird. I don't know why. I have the whole package. I don't understand. Can't remember lyrics to Robin, but... It could have been a pop star. So were
1: you also... in? Were you into K-pop as well?
0: No. I don't really listen to K-pop now either. Yeah. Don't really know where to start.
1: What music were your parents listening to? Do you
0: know what, Like... DJing and stuff. Everyone kind of like asks that. Mm. Like, what music did you have in your house? Like, what music were you influenced by? And I swear to God, there was no music in my house. Right. My parents don't listen to music. Okay. Which is so crazy to me. Is
1: that something they've like decided, or is it just sort of like they're just not really interested? They're just in not, they? not okay. into
0: music. It's so weird. Yeah. And, like, after I moved out, they were, like, the house is so quiet. I'm, like, because you don't play anything. Like, yeah. it's so crazy. Like, when my mom cooks and stuff, you know, like, when you're doing yeah chores or whatever. Like, I'd put music on. But, like, my parents, like, watch stuff. They right. watch a lot of, like, Korean dramas and stuff. Okay. But, like, they just don't listen to music. It's so weird.
1: So were they supportive of the music, of you being into music? Or were they against it? Or were they just kind of indifferent?
0: I think it started off probably as indifference. I don't think it was like music specifically. Like my childhood was weird. I don't think they'd like the music I've been playing. Although I did send my mom um, like a playback to the, like one of my rinse shows. yeah, (laughs) And she just wrote, this is good dancing. So she did like it, (laughs) but it was like, I think that particular mix was like quite grimy or like, quite tribal and i was like couldn't imagine my mom listening to that but they're really supportive i mean i think in any sense they just like the idea that i'm self-sufficient and i haven't borrowed money from them so they probably think that i'm doing well yeah (laughs) but um yeah i didn't grow up with any music but like i had a crazy childhood the amount of weird hobbies and shit that i had to do at school because i went to an art school right like I did mime. Okay. For five years. I didn't know there was that much mime to learn, but Okay. Yeah. What else did I do? Yeah, we we auditioned I auditioned to be one of like four backing singers for this like country act. So I would sing backup up right. country songs.
1: Yeah. So these hobbies, was this stuff that like you were like you were interested because obviously some some hobbies like that are more like parents going oh you should go and do this or why did you end up doing these hobbies
0: it was through school it was like in my curriculum (laughs) okay which was mad not the singing thing but the mime class that was like in my schedule my parents weren't really they didn't I mean like typical Korean Asian parents I did like math like Kumon I think they, they have Kumon here now but I did like Kumon like math and English and piano but they didn't really push me doing anything else
1: why did you end up in an art school was that something you decided
0: when i was in like grade two how old are you then like five no i don't know no, six, it'd, be, seven. it'd be different in canada yeah well. no i was seven or eight and then i think my teacher told my mom like she should audition for the school because you had to audition to get in it was a free school you just had to yeah, yeah. and then i auditioned and got in
1: but do you think that being at that school kind of help from an early age to to promote that you don't have to just go and because like say the curriculum here i think is quite limited so Mm -hmm. like for me trying to do something creative yeah you'd always get pushed down like the graphic design route yeah because the subjects at school are so limited yeah that you don't really think about that many things you can do so it's like graphic design is kind of like a version of art that you can get paid for so go and do that do you think that because you were doing so many different things
0: Yeah. I mean, I, the older I get, I think back at the school that I went to and it is crazy that one, it was free and two, like the amount of random shit that we had to do and it absolutely changed my perception of what school was and what is normal. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine doing anything not in the arts, like anything like admin based. Like I just can't, like that, that's not... The life I know, Yeah. if you know what I mean.
1: You know when you're a kid and you just have things that you think that you're going to do when you're older. Yeah. You want, what, what Do you remember Like what you wanted to, other than a pop star?
0: <laughs> I want to be a lawyer, which made my parents very happy.
1: So you're in art school, but you want to be a lawyer. Yeah,
0: I wanted to be a lawyer, and then that quickly faded. I don't remember what I really, I wanted to do, I wanted to, I moved to London because I wanted to be a fashion designer.
1: Okay. Yeah. So how old was that?
0: I was eight teen when i moved here okay.
1: so you finished this art school and then yeah you go what what music were you into when you moved to london
0: i was obsessed with indie right like yeah. indie rock yeah like my favorite band was like block party yeah when they for, when they came out and like all of that and me and my friend tess <laughs> she she makes music now as well but we were obsessed and we were just like we're moving to London like that's it when we were 17 there was a uh, there was a school trip you we went to Greece and Italy and we were like let's not do that trip with the school and we're just gonna save up money and get a job like we both worked at Starbucks and we we're gonna save money and then go to London for like three weeks during the summer and we did that we yeah. we're just like we want to live here so bad like obsessed like ridiculous
1: I know that you're obsessed with Weezer so when did that <laughs>
0: I've always loved Weezer, but I remember, well, like, I th- I was too young for like Pinkerton and Blue Album, obviously, but um, I remember like Green Album. Like I remember like Hashpipe right. being on TV and like the music video and then like Beverly Hills. And like it never really resonated that much. But then when I was, I think 16, 17, 18, I just got obsessed. I can't listen to that shit like in the background. Like I can sing Blue Album and Pinkerton start to finish. Right. It can't be like a, social thing <laughs> it's too distracting yeah, yeah, Like yeah, i yeah, can't okay.
1: listen to it i remember going to toronto i can't i can't remember what year it was but like yeah. drake was probably in on degrassi or whatever yeah i remember point. i've seen an interview where you talked about how people are like oh being in toronto must have been so cool i mean i really liked the city when i went there yeah. that first couple of times and i did like the hip-hop scene there but it was very like grassroots it was very like b-boys outside of the yeah what's the square called again
0: uh dundas square yeah yeah
1: where they put all the spotify adverts yeah um, <laughs> yeah it was like but that it was that kind of scene at that time yeah Did, were you ever like engaged in
0: i wasn't in i wasn't into hip-hop at all yeah. like i was into hip-hop but like biggie and stuff yeah. but i didn't feel like there was a toronto scene yeah i think the music scene in Toronto has grown a lot since I've left yeah <laughs> but yeah when I was growing up we always kind of looked outside of the city yeah for music
1: yeah because the hip-hop scene it was more like graffiti on Queen Street yeah Cardinal Official was mm. like the biggest yeah yeah it, but it must <laughs> be weird now to be like To be like that city is like such a notable... It it has its own sound as well. Like people from other cities make music that sounds like it's from Toronto. Yeah. Do you connect to it still?
0: Do you know, I don't. I don't really feel that connected to the city in terms of music like that. Yeah. I think because i moved away like when i was last living there i was at home and i moved when i just turned 18 and stuff i don't connect to it as an adult i connect to it as a child so when i go back i feel like a teenager
1: but you get to have tim hortons
0: yeah which i don't listen tim hortons is just it's shitting all over me because they have a thing in cardiff yeah glasgow where else did you tell me? I don't know. Barcelona I, or something? Yeah, yeah.
1: Barcelona there was one.
0: Why is there not one in London? <laughs> I'm so confused. I went to the one in Cardiff. Like not it. specifically, but I I was there and I was like, you know, I gotta
1: I uh, like to think that you were just desperate for it, so you just <laughs> got I a just train.
0: Went to, <laughs> <was> so desperate. <laughs> but yeah, I don't also I don't really enjoy it that much when I have when I have Tim Hortons because it's not like great quality, really. <laughs> but it's just like a thing that, you it's know, just it like reminds me of home. Quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so when you moved to London, you moved to become a fashion designer. Yeah. And where did you go?
0: I went to St. Martin's to study fashion, and I did a foundation degree, which they didn't tell me what a foundation course was. Okay. When I was in Toronto, and I did my interview for uni, which I thought was uni, but turns out foundation isn't.
1: (laughs) Can you explain what it is, just for people who foundation?
0: Do you know what it's? It was free at the time for like at home and EU students. I'm not even quite sure now, but I think it's if you didn't study art at all and you're just coming from like college or whatever, then you do a course like a year in foundation where you get the general foundation of the arts, isn't it? Yeah. And then you can apply for a degree in your chosen speciality that you choose in foundation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I came from like an art school background for like nine years, and I go to foundation, which at the time, and I know this was about ten years ago. It was like eight thousand pounds just for the foundation right. thing. And I remember them telling us to go outside and like take a piece of paper, put it up against a brick wall or something and do like pencil rubbings to get like texture. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? And my parents You've been are doing paying. Mine for five years. I've been you know, I could <laughs> And I was doing like the school that I went to, like we did like conceptual art and everything. Yeah. And then moved to London. My parents are paying, like, at the time, it was probably like 15, 16,000 Canadian dollars. Yeah. For me to do this shit. I mean, I didn't tell my parents that. They right. thought it was like part of the degree. And like, yeah, I, yeah. Didn't, I couldn't tell them because I was like, this is so embarrassing. Okay.
1: Yeah, because I, I think that goes back to what I was saying about the, the curriculum. Yeah. The creative curriculum here is so limited. Right. And so, like, you do graphics or you do art, and art generally, like, my art course was like, paint two-pack in the style of Andy Warhol. Do you know, like it was stuff like that. It was yeah. like putting a really basic Photoshop photo yeah, yeah, yeah. on a picture, like dude. projecting it onto the wall and then drawing over. Right. It was like stuff like that. So I think you do the foundation course, like you say, to like Open get up a broader and thing. Yeah. And like my mistake was that I skipped it <laughs> and ended up doing contemporary art that I didn't really know what it was, but it's worked out fine. <laughs> We're here
0: i mean i i do understand like how privileged how how much of a privilege it is to be able to study like art in yeah. one of the most expensive and amazing cities in the world like i'm not you know knocking it but foundation course is fucking bullshit can i tell you it's so bad and i and i chose fashion and as soon as i did that i was like nope this is not for me i hated it it was awful
1: okay so at the end of the foundation course yeah and then i you pl- chose fashion or
0: well i applied Right. And I didn't get in, but that was like, because I was doing the foundation at St. Martin's, I had, it was like earlier you could apply and then I didn't get in. And then I was like, okay, shit. Like, what do I know? And what can I do to get into uni? Cause I need to stay in London. And so in about two months or something, I just made a fine art portfolio and I applied for fine art and got in.
1: Okay. <laughs> Why did you need to stay in London? What was it that was keeping you? If you I, didn't like the course, what was it that was keeping you? I don't know, you? just
0: London. I needed to, I needed to live here.
1: <laughs> so at this point, what music were you listening to?
0: Oh my God. Was
1: it still the kind of indie rock stuff?
0: By 2007, 2008, electronic music was really big, wasn't it? Like. Yeah. All the Ed Banger lot and like, right. yeah, like Justice shit. They were massive, Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, I think I was still kind of in that phase. I was into like electronic, like kind of club <laughs> stuff.
1: Yeah, so I guess you're like doing this foundation course, Starting a Party in London. <laughs> yeah. So how was fine art?
0: It was fine. It was my way of living here, basically. Right. Yeah. To be honest, I wish I put more into it because I think uni is like totally, whatever you put in, you get out. Yeah. But... I just didn't give a shit because I was working in a bar, met like some really good friends of mine, just getting drunk and like meeting guys and just enjoying my first few years as an adult and living in my dream city. I kind of did the bare minimum, to be honest. Yeah. I still enjoyed it, but it wasn't really for me. Mm. And
1: then when you finished the course, what was the next step?
0: I just wanted to get into the music industry. Yeah. <laughs> um like Where I did love that art, come from? My love for music really. Yeah, I don't think it was specifically like I need to do this or this is the next step, but it just felt natural and it never occurred to me to at the time, like also I couldn't. The year that the, I graduated, they got rid of this like post study visa which used to you used to be able to get as an international student. Um, after you do a degree in the UK for two years, you can get a visa and like apply for jobs and whatever but the year i graduated they got rid of it right theresa may lovely and yeah i remember just being like i don't know how i'm gonna stay here i don't know how to live here right and i was with my boyfriend at the time and we got married
1: okay (laughs) and so and so you what you you're trying to get a job in music music. so where where did you go how how did you
0: I did so many internships. I did an internship at Sony, doing like marketing. I worked at a music PR company for a bit. I did like a management company. Yeah, I did all sorts and then got a job at a booking agency. And I was there for about three years. How was that? It was good. I just knew that I didn't want to be an agent. I wasn't... I don't think I'm cut out for it. I don't think I have the personality for it.
1: What is the personality (laughs) that you...
0: Okay. I'm not a pushover. Okay. But like kind of being stern about money, I just, I find it very awkward. Yeah. Um, And that's a really important part about being an agent, isn't it? So, and also I want to create, like I wanted to be immersed in music and there are aspects of that, definitely. And you can take artists on really early and develop them and stuff. But I just kind of knew it wasn't for me. And
1: when did you realize?
0: I think I knew almost straight away, but the people I work with, I love so much. And even now, like some of my best friends are from that job. And I think I stayed because it was just, I love the people and got to go to like loads of shows and like festivals and stuff. And, but then DJing started kind of like.
1: Yeah. So when did, so obviously you're going out. When do you go from being like in the rave to yeah. wanting to be the DJ?
0: Do you want know, Cause I'm quite, I feel quite shy. Yeah. So, it's not really a job you would think a shy person would want to have because it's quite anxiety inducing.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> because you're p- pretty much like at the center of the club, right? Yeah. Like, and you kind of control whatever. The thought of that is actually terrifying. But DJing just kind of, it kind of just happened organically. And then I started just getting books for more and more gigs. And then it just got to a point where. I love doing it and I started promoting and stuff in my party and then it just made sense to just yeah. pursue that full time.
1: How did you learn to DJ?
0: So when I was working at this bar, me and my friend, we started promoting and that's like in air quotes because we did... This was, like, back at the time when people, like, flyered and shit. And I know, like, flyering still exists now. But there was no Instagram. There was no, like, Facebook ads and shit. Like, we had to do everything ourselves. But anyway, we were working in this bar. And now he's, like, an insanely successful menswear fashion designer. But anyway, when we started, we were working in the bar. And because we were listening to like promoters every weekend like it was a really good dive bar and we had like loads of good promoters and djs come in and we would just listen to the same stuff like over and over we're like we can do this like not technically we couldn't do as well as them but like musical tastes and stuff we were like fuck it we can do it so we started doing a club night and it was called dip it low right (laughs) and it was his dj name was ludicant and mine was rianny (laughs) <laughs> and we used to well i want i because he's six foot five and i'm five foot two so i was like we should be called biggie and smalls like that's amazing and then some other promoters that we'd never heard of hit us up and were like you can't take that name and so we were like okay i'm gonna be called Riani and i'm gonna be ludicrous <laughs> so you, it was 90s like r&b kind of stuff it was djing but it was not good and this was when like way to use, CDs, way to use CDs, use okay. CDs on CDJs. Like, I remember having like candles to look at like the track list that I'd written out for like the burn CDs. Like oh, the DJs that didn't have to go through all this, they'll never know. But we started doing that, and then I think my friend that I had gone to uni with or something, she put me forward for this gig this agency that she knew was looking to uh, book DJs for like H&M in stores right. on Oxford Circus. She put me forward. I was like, yeah, okay. And then I had to send in like a track list and then did like an hour audition and stuff, which was terrifying. Cause it's like the flagship store. It's like five floors. And I'm trying to play like music that's friendly for H&M and like clean tracks and stuff. That was so scary. And I got it. So I started doing that. And then I started doing more branding stuff. Cause as soon as you say you, you dj for h&m like top shop want to book you and then makeup shops like benefit and stuff want to book you and then just kind of i started building up my like brand dj portfolio or cv so i learned how to dj from those h&m gigs right because they had 2000s and yeah i just started learning like on the job
1: when did you start to shape a sound that you wanted to i
0: think a couple years ago so when I'm talking to you about that was I think like five years ago right when people ask me like how long I've been playing I say like three three and a half years full-time cause that's when I quit my job and that's when I really started focusing on developing my sound like as you say or like what I'd be known for yeah it's like obviously I do some brand stuff now and there's all types of music that people want for those kinds of events but mainly now I would say it's like I'm primarily like a hip-hop and trap and like future sounds kind of DJ yeah So I just started putting my own mixes out on SoundCloud.
1: Because I guess now you're also known for playing a lot of edits and stuff like that. Whereas at that point, I'm assuming from what you said, you're playing more like big R&B, maybe pop songs. Yeah. Stuff like that. When did you start to sort of move towards edits?
0: At the time when I was doing a lot of R&B club nights and stuff, I found that there were a lot of other DJs doing that. And I wanted to find something that was different that I could do that would make me stand out more. And like, I just love, I mean, so Elections like really influential for me. Everything, like their whole ethos and like their brand and just inter- like music as well. And just that influenced me. Yeah, doing edits was kind of my way of like standing out at the time.
1: When you've got a job, a full-time gig that you know you're going to get paid for and then you have to take that leap of faith and sort of back yourself to, to go freelance. Yeah. How was that process for you?
0: When I talk to my friends now, they were like, you were shit scared. Like you were so scared about leaving and going freelance and not having income and stuff. I don't remember that at all now. Right. I really don't. But I I can imagine, I mean, it is really scary to know that you have an X amount of money coming in and then immediately thinking, do you know? And I get that sometimes even now when I have like a regular residency. And then this happened recently where the venue just shut literally that week, three days before I had a set, they just shut. Right. (laughs) And you need to like account for stuff like that, which that is scary, but I can't imagine not being freelance, you know?
1: How did you know that it was the right decision for you?
0: I was like really depressed (laughs) okay and i was working a lot because i was picking up a lot of sets and working full-time and i was just run down ill i didn't have all the weekends i'd be drinking and djing and then i wouldn't have time to see my friends on the weekends and then i'd go straight into work so i was just working pretty much like six seven days a week i was so run down i was ill all the time and i just felt like yeah i think that attributed a lot to a lot of um the reason why i was so down but Also, I think for me, when I go through bouts of like depression, it's like my brain telling my body almost like something's not right. You need to change something. Yeah. It's just your brain telling you for me that you need to shift something in your life because I like like to think I'm like an upbeat person, but I go through like, like times of when I'm really down and stuff like everyone. And at that time, I was going through a really rough time and then I was like, I need to make a change. And that just made sense to me and at the time i was making like money enough to kind of quit and then like do that
1: in creative jobs particularly it feels like because you get a lot of highlights you get a lot of highs and lows Mm. you get a lot of like one night you're doing some crazy gig that you've wanted to do forever and then the next day you're just like back back to normal yeah just like how do you navigate those
0: i think it humbles humbles me at least like, this summer, I did this insane gig, and they, like, flew me out. I had, like, a suite myself, and it was beautiful, and I had a driver. And then the next day, I flew to another city, and I stayed in, like, the shittiest Airbnb. And it was, like, basement. There was a cockroach and stuff. And I was like, oh, well, went crashing down back to earth didn't I yeah but I find stuff like that humbling like I never want to be like oh where's my driver I mean those are kind of like the non-work side of things those are kind of like just the outside benefits but yeah there are times where I'll do like an amazing set at an event and it was amazing and then the next day I'll do like a normal
1: like admin yeah or like yeah,
0: yeah. and it's just I don't know
1: it's just because I feel like the mind kind of gets comfortable when there's consistency yeah and I feel like with creativity it's never really that consistent yeah and so you kind of have to figure out how to cope with that
0: but i like that balance as well yeah of like the boring stuff too because then it makes the highs like so much higher
1: yeah
0: if it's like if you're getting just the highs all the time then that's not really a high that's just normal, and then you lose the spark (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. but yeah i think all the negatives and like the bad points Are important to I guess your growth as well because if you're just doing like six sets all the time then like you're not really going to grow you're just going to carry on at that level mostly but I don't know when I have a bad set I'm like I'm never having a bad set again and then I really push myself
1: I feel like it's the most annoying part of a creative job really but especially as a freelancer self-branding is really important Mm. right at what point did you realize that that was going to be something you were going to have to do and start putting that together
0: the thing about self-branding i find is really cringy a lot of the time yeah and it's exhausting too and it just makes you think like why am i so full of myself almost to the point because you're trying to design essentially like how you come across you as a brand and it's just sometimes i'm like i'm so sick of thinking about myself i can't remember when exact i can't really pinpoint the exact moment i'd say when i really decided to take DJing seriously like I, I quit my job like three and a half years ago but I would say I started taking like absolute seriously <laughs> like a year and a half ago me and my ex of like eight years we split up and because we were together for so long a lot of my time and energy and focus was part of that and like the life that we built together and I'm an all-or-nothing person so like for me my number one priority was our relationship after we split up, all my energy and everything went into just myself, and I'd say about then I decided that it's either succeed or die, so, right, <laughs> so might as well give it a go. Yeah,
1: what's your kind of like relationship with Instagram? Like, have you found a balance on how to use it?
0: I love Instagram, and I, I use Instagram mainly because like my. Twitter is quite sad. Like, <laughs> I just I find Twitter really difficult. Like, right. I really have to push myself to like do a post, and I'm like, it shouldn't be this difficult. So yeah. like, I'm thinking about getting rid of it. But Instagram, because it's visual for me, it's I I respond better to like visual stuff. So that's what I focus on. But I don't know. Like, I think it's just important to just remind yourself it is silly when I'm like, oh, I need to like have this so I can post about it. It is silly if you do stress about it sometimes. Like, I do catch myself. I'm like stop it it's fine no one's gonna die like you could do this post tomorrow or whatever but to think about how amazing it is to have a free service where you can pretty much like it's pretty much my cv right yeah and it's a means to promote and like obviously you can do sponsored ads and stuff it can be like just a free way to promote if you do it correctly and a way to connect with people when people ask for like a business card i'm like take my instagram i know that it's such a good and positive thing but it can like sometimes I'm just you find yourself like just scrolling right but it's fine
1: how important do you think it is though do you think if you got rid of it would it affect would I
0: exist (laughs) yeah that's so scary I definitely need it for work
1: because I feel like you do a good job of putting a bit of lifestyle into it a bit of humor into it oh how do you balance how much you wanna give people of what your personality's like and stuff as well as? I
0: think you have to, don't you? Or else it's so dry. I think so. It's so like if you don't have an individuality about it, it should, if it's just like flyers for shit, like that's cool if you're like really big or successful or whatever. But I, I don't know. It just have to be funny. <laughs> Life's funny. Why not?
1: Do you find that you end up comparing yourself with other people because of it, or?
0: Yeah, I mean, the amount of people I've had to mute sometimes. Right. <laughs> but that's that's not on them at all. It's yeah. my own stuff. Like, I know that about myself, where I'm not competitive in the sense where I want other people to fail so I can succeed. It's not like that at all, but it hurts my <laughs> self-esteem, if anything, which then just makes my productivity like shit. So I just know sometimes... And it's, I think, the pace of DJing as well. You almost need to, to have something like once a week or twice a week and if let's say you have one week where it's not the biggest gigs but then another dj will have like a massive show or whatever you can just literally that day be like i'm a loser and i should just give up like those are it's just so crazy because it's so dramatic yeah um so there are times where i I don't really watch stories that much right because i have really bad fomo and then i just can't deal with my life But with posts, it is good to keep up with people and stuff. And like kind of see like who's playing and parties that I want to go to or whatever. But a lot of the time I have to have my blinders on.
1: Is it hard to go from like when you're at the agency, obviously you go into a lot of live music and a lot of shows. And now obviously you do get to do that. But also a lot of it is driven by what you're booked for. So like quite often if I'm going to a gig or something and I hit you up, you're already, you've got a gig somewhere. Do you find that like... You end up missing out on a lot of shows that you want to go to.
0: Gig-wise, I mean, you're so bad at that. You make me feel so much FOMO because you go to a lot of shows, a lot of shows that I want to go to. But if I have an earlier set, then I just miss all of it. But it is work at the end of the day in terms of earning an income because I don't have any other sorts of income. It's a lot of the parties that I get FOMO a lot. If I'm playing at another party and I want to be at yeah, another that's party, what I mean. yeah. yeah. Even though the party I'm playing at is obviously lit, right? Because I'm playing. But <laughs> if my friends are somewhere or whatever, I think that my goal for the next like year, I'd say like 12 months, is to do less but bigger. I don't know.
1: So speaking of parties, I didn't even realize that you started by trying to be a promoter. So I guess that promotion side's always been something you've been interested in?
0: Well, Promoting is like gambling and I'm addicted to like the win, I guess, of promoting. Okay. That's a very pessimistic way of putting it. But the highs of like throwing a sick party and like have an amazing time and watching everyone have a good time and making money, that is such a high. Promoting is pretty much like one of the most stressful things ever. (laughs) Like it's so stressful.
1: Was Night Dreams the first party that you started? Yeah. Or have you tried any other Well, besides before? Dip uh, besides It besides Low. The bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: but that, we didn't have like massive costs. It was just something that we did together yeah. at a bar. It was just like a free entry bar. It was like really easy. But Night Dreams, like I started Night Dreams because, so I was doing a lot of branding stuff when I was DJing when I first started. And then I wanted to start doing like club bookings and stuff. But obviously like no one really knew me like that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to throw a party and I'm going to put myself on the lineup. And then I started doing that. And then like the parties were good. So people like I could hit up other DJs to come play. And then as soon as and then you're, you're kind of seen on that caliber, right? Yeah. So promoting Night Dreams was a way for me to DJ more yeah. and DJ the music I wanted to.
1: If you start your own thing. Yeah. You kind of get to like skip a lot of the ranks that you'd have to work yeah. through if you were just I mean if to, it's like, good. Yeah of course yeah. of course. Wish it
0: <laughs> <laughs> which it was. Which it it was. It was although yeah. I do remember like once it was really bad. Like I had one and it wasn't it wasn't even that bad but it was like quite it, in my eyes it wasn't good and I just went home and like cried. Right. At like four in the morning. Like drunk like meh. but yeah if it's good it's definitely good. Yeah, And and I, te- I started doing everything myself, like there was a few that I just DJed the whole thing as well. So I was like promoting it, DJing the whole thing. It was mad.
1: Where was the first one? What was the first one? Like how did you come up with it all?
0: So Night Dreams, like well, the concept behind it is Nightmares and Daydreams. So Nightmares was my interpretation of like the really like hard music, like yeah. really trappy and grimy and stuff. And then the daydreams was kind of like the more like dreamy, like future beats kind of like edit side, which both of them I'd, like. If you if like you know, my sets usually contain like a bit of both. So that was my idea behind night dreams. And then the first one I did in a little bar like in Clapton, which was like fifty cap, and yeah, it was just me DJing the whole time. It was just like for people to come down. It was free entry. And then after that, I got offered, like, a Saturday, a monthly Saturday at birthdays, rest in peace. And I was like, fuck it. Like, that that in itself, I felt like I was skipping a lot of steps. Yeah. But I was like, I have to do it, right? yeah. Like, yeah. if opportunities are just given to you like that, that's mad. Like, just do it. Like, how many promoters are emailing them, asking for a Saturday, a monthly Saturday, like, straight off the bat? So I did that, and then I was there for about two years, and I did it monthly, which is exhausting. And then... Now it's at Miranda Ace Hotel. And I've been there since... <gasps> it's almost been a year. But nice. it's bi-monthly. so yeah, it's... yeah, yeah. <gasps> Oh my god, where's so, this time going?
1: That's another thing that I'm really interested in is the fact that you aren't just a hip-hop DJ or just a future beats or whatever. It's like the mix of everything. Why has that been something you've been interested in?
0: It's just what I'm into. And I just want to stand out <laughs> yeah i just want to feel special that's just what i like and that's the whole idea be- behind night dreams really it was just a mix between something because i love like ratchet shit like loud and dirty music but then i love the selectiony kind of vibe as well and i know so many people that do so why yeah. not combine it and at the time when i wanted to start it there wasn't really parties like that yeah. or there weren't that many DJs out there doing that
1: because I think that wanting to stand out thing is important because there is a lot of people who want to DJ because they want to play like the biggest five songs of the moment and get that big reaction whereas it doesn't feel like that is the point of it for you
0: no like if I just then anyone can do it right
1: so with night jeans as well as being a promoter how do you choose who else is on the lineup with you and where you kind of like (laughs) put people in the lineup
0: Well, it started off booking friends or people who I met out or whatever. But the focus now is trying to get like a live PA aspect or having like a headline DJ and then building the lineup in terms of who would fit best. But then also now I know so many amazing friend DJs that it's not easy, but it's easier than it has been in order to get like a sick lineup because so many I've met on similar lineups and stuff and it's just it just kind of makes sense sometimes
1: and do you think having that position of being able to book people helps you in other ways to be able to sort of extend your network and yeah of
0: course like getting in conversations with people who are just even like agencies managers like it's just good to have those conversations it was really scary at first but I think nothing is worth doing if you're not shitting yourself
1: what do you think is the biggest thing as a dj that you've learned from the night dreams parties
0: it's really important to be a good warm-up dj (laughs) yeah not throwing shade at anyone or anything but it makes such a difference when there's a really good warm-up dj because if a dj comes on at 11 or like even 12 and they're playing like all the bangers then you're like what's left right yeah warm-up dj is very important
1: how do you balance between playing the music that you want to play, but also pleasing the crowd? Because mm. I think to be a really good DJ, there's like a fine line yeah, that you have to be able to balance between the two.
0: I always think DJing is a democracy. It's not always about you, unless you're literally booked. But then even then, it's like... I do feel like you have to read the crowd always like people say like do you prepare your sets and i'm like i do something like for radio and stuff but when it's a crowd it's it's interactive almost it's yeah oh my god this is gonna sound so corny but it's like a conversation like you interviewing you can't just go with questions and then just ask one through ten or whatever it's like you have to you're bouncing off of energy and stuff yeah responsive and i always say djing club all of that it's a democratic thing so you obviously want to give and and people if people know you and stuff like they want to hear like what you have to bring or what you play normally but then it's so important to just read the crowd it's so yeah it's so it makes such a difference when a dj is like responding to the energies back cuz then Or uh, else the set's just quite flat.
1: Is there a responsibility though as a DJ to give people new music to like have them discover stuff? Because I'm finding that it's harder to discover new music at a lot of parties. Yeah.
0: I think people are really up for listening and dancing to stuff they know. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a nice way of saying it? In my experience, people haven't, maybe earlier sets but when you when you've got like a later set and stuff i think people especially in the hip-hop kind of scene the pace of mixing is so quick that i think even if you lose the crowd for like 10-15 seconds which doesn't seem like long at all but when you but it seems long to if, you if as... it's flat like if the response isn't there it is the longest time yeah but then you kind of have to play out a little bit of the track so that like just to be like no i meant to do this yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that's what i love about radio because right then i think people have a different hat on when they're listening to radio than they do when they're drunk at a party it's a different environment
1: do you think edits help with that as well though because you can play an edit mm. that's like some random producer. Yeah. with some sort of Drake acapella that yeah, everyone knows. Yeah, I love that. But that's what I love as yeah. well.
0: I love kind of like keeping people on their toes really. Just yeah. be like, oh this is sick and they're like, this is not how I thought it went and then liking it. I yeah. I like love that. That's why I love edits. Like that's mm. my favorite part of djing for people to be like, oh shit, what? And then, like, coming up and being like, what is that remix?
1: Going back to what you said before about the importance of warm-up DJs, obviously, you've supported a lot of different kinds of artists Mm. as a DJ. And I wondered what that process is like, how that differs from the radio stuff, the club stuff, how you prepare for that.
0: That is so artist-based, I think, because the answer's in the name, isn't it? You're supporting. So, like, it's different if you're an artist and you're booked to play your songs to support an artist. And I'm not putting myself down even, but I'm booked as a DJ to warm up the crowd or like basically, or even fill in the gap or like just so people don't get bored. I don't think I'm at that stage yet where people are like, oh sick. Or maybe, you know, hopefully I'll get there, but I don't think I'm at the stage now where I'll be booked and like people are like, oh sick, we need to go see her set before because I know she's gonna play this. So like, I just want to compliment the artist, So I'll be playing stuff that is within the field, but still have an identity to the set. But I think for me, it's mainly to keep the artists and like promoters happy really, Yeah. cause it's not my show. Yeah. And it's an honor I'd say like to be asked to do those kinds of gigs. Like I really enjoy them. So I want, I don't want to, you know, step on any toes yeah. or anything.
1: Who are some of the people that you've supported?
0: The one that I was so excited about was Khalees. I yeah. supported her last year. That was amazing, obviously, because it's Khalees. I supported Joe Kay from Selection, yeah. and that was so much fun. Because then I, like, I just played, you that know. Is, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I just tried you, to you, play yeah. not the edits that like I knew he was going to play. or like That was one of my favorites. I supported Leon Bridges at Brixton Academy. And that was the biggest venue that I've and he sold out two nights that was insane just to be on the stage at brixton academy it was so weird <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> cool
1: so how do you go about like say leon bridges yeah so say with that one what information do you get given
0: for that one like none okay. for a lot of them i don't get like a specific brief. right yeah it's just more like this is more like common what, sense
1: so then how do you prepare for leon bridges
0: it's more just like the same kind of vibe i guess so just kind of like the same ish tempo and then i played a lot of edits
1: but is it different to like calice yeah (laughs) like the preparation also
0: like you're expecting like a different crowd right yeah so like leon bridges i'm not gonna get like ravers right because that's not really his audience like going to see him on like a sunday night Whereas, like, I think Khalees was, maybe it was on a weekend or something. Like, stuff like, all of that I take into consideration. Yeah. And then the kind of stuff, like, she's going to be playing are, like, massive, like, dance kind of, like, people going wild. So you, you want to play some party tunes. It's a lot of judging. I judge. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just quick judging. of.
1: So then, obviously, you also do a lot of radio stuff, as we've mentioned a few times. When did you start doing radio?
0: You know, I was terrified of radio. Yet again, another thing that... I was so scared about doing but it has been such a good thing that's happened to me or like i'm actually really proud of myself for doing my next was like next week and i'm scared still i started getting asked to do like a couple mixes for people shows and my first one was on represent uh dobby's show and right. yeah i remember getting that email and be like oh my god that's amazing so did that and then did a couple on like online ones and then yeah last summer i was really i really wanted to have my own show somewhere or like do a guest show. And I remember this specifically, I was with my friend, took a half day and we went to the park to like chill. And yeah, I just got an email from Vince FM like, hey, listen to your mixes. I like, do you wanna have a show sometime? And I, I remember like jumping up and down, just being like, I can't believe it's just come to me like yeah. that. And then, so I did, I started doing like a couple, um, like guest shows. I got asked to be a resident in February. Now I have a monthly show. Yeah. Which is sick. Please don't take it away. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> Do you think that it's important for a DJ to have mixes available online then?
0: Yeah, 100%. Especially if people are starting out, I think. Because if, cause I get people emailing me a lot asking to play my event. I tend to only kind of book people that I've either seen before or they've played on lineups that I can trust, if you know what I mean. Right. So like having a mix online, then you can kind of get an idea of their musical taste. And like sometimes if they label something like all the bangers of the summer and then you listen to it and it's like not all the bangers of the summer, you're like, so you have a different idea of what you think are all the bangers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, you just yeah, kind right. of like their interpretation of it and stuff. So,
1: But would you expect like obviously a mix that's online to be different to what? yeah no of
0: course like that's that's a very literal and yeah yeah, yeah. way of explaining it but yeah like i'll i just started putting mixes online and then i always think like they're there so anything i just like do more and then like more can happen they're
1: almost like a business card i guess yeah like you would expect maybe deeper selections and stuff uh, online yeah of course yeah
0: if I had to give my advice to people, is like literally just keep doing so much because it's just maths, isn't it? Like yeah. the more you put out, the more likely it is that something's gonna happen out of it. And like I've, I've, I've worked really hard, but like also I've been putting a lot of stuff out yeah. there and doing stuff on my own, like being proactive, which has luckily helped in the right people maybe seeing it and then getting in touch.
1: And on radio as well, with your show, you're not just going on just doing a continuous mix and then that's it, you're done. Yeah. You kind of have to get guests on and then you have to interview them. And how did you adapt to fit that format?
0: Well, on Rinse, when I first started, I, I started getting like late night slot. So right. I was doing like 11 p.m. I think once I had a 1 a.m. one. And for me, it made sense to do just the mix. Because yeah. I think late night, it's more, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But then when I got the residency, which was about five months after I started, they gave me like 11 a.m. on a Monday. I was like, okay, maybe maybe try out interviews. And the residencies are not like permanent. So I was like, how am I going to like stand out and stand out? It's like to get guests on and like do it that way. And still do mixes because I do my, my show's two hours now. So I do like a mix and I interview someone and then do a mix or like introduce a track and stuff. But to me, that was me bringing more to the station, but it's so scary. Yeah.
1: And do you think even that change in your slot going from a nighttime slot yeah. to like a Monday morning slot? Yeah, no, it's totally how's changed. That? Yeah, how did you adapt to that?
0: Just always scared, Grant. I'm just always scared. <laughs> and what I'm always about- scared and I'm trying to do something that adds to whatever platform or job I'm doing because then there's a hundred other people who who want to do what I want to do
1: yeah as well but like you said before there's no point in doing it if you're not scared Yeah, I know but this
0: scared always (laughs) just why can't I just get used to it just need to chill
1: yeah you (laughs) I don't I don't know if you ever get used to it oh
0: my god then this is it for the rest of my life Every day Living before night dreams. Every day I'm like, I don't want to do it. I'm scared. I'm scared.
1: What What is it then that keeps you going?
0: The high after the event or the show. Like after, The best time to talk to me <laughs> or ask me for shit is like right after I've done radio or like the day after my event if it's gone well.
1: How do you go about like discovering music for the show? What How do you normally come across stuff?
0: Uh edits wise it's definitely soundcloud and it's like the soundcloud black hole of like you're just on there for hours and related tracks producers related artists and stuff and then it's 3am and you're like what is music even anymore i've just gone four hours of like um
1: so you tend to search for that stuff rather than being sent it
0: yeah but like new non at like new normal (laughs) music i get sent quite a bit now and when I first started, I was like, oh, I, w- I, like, I want to play everyone. But then it's like, actually, no, I should just I should play what I like. I'm still learning. I still feel quite new. Because mm. although I've been doing it on Rinse for a year, if you think about it, that's 12, 12 times. Yeah. It's actually not that much. So I'm still kind of like trying to find my way and like be less scared. But I, I do a podcast as well, but that's definitely helped. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask about it earlier, but yeah.
1: So you do a podcast about Gossip Girl. Yeah. But you don't post about it on your socials. No, it's all friends. Socials. How, but <laughs> but it, it does quite well though, right?
0: Yeah, it does in its own little world.
1: What made you decide to like put that separate?
0: I think it's really important to be very clear in your social media because people don't, they don't want to figure out who you are. You are just like what you present to them. Yeah, And I think for me, because I'm still like kind of, I would say... Starting out, I wouldn't want to confuse anyone to be like, oh, she loves Gossip Girl. <laughs> She's doing. But something. why would? Why do you? I've think posted somebody, about it a couple yeah. of times, but it's not in like the main thing because that's not my main thing.
1: <laughs> you brought it out. What what's it called? Just in it's case called, people want to find if it. If people
0: want to listen to it, it's called "Who the Fuck Is Gossip Girl," and the concept is so I do it with my friend Gav and Kate. And Gav's never seen it. And Kate and I have seen it. So we know who Gossip Girl is. And we pretty much watch every episode of seven seasons. And we analyze each episode. And then at the end, we ask who the fuck is Gossip Girl. And then he guesses. But it's not like that deep. It's mainly just us chatting shit. But I was DJing once. And then I went, I finished my set. And then apparently someone came up to like, my friend was like, is that Annie? And they were like, yeah. And he's like, she do a podcast about Gossip Girl? So I got recognized.
1: From the podcast?
0: From the podcast, but that's so strange because when I DJ, there's no voice. And when I'm podcasting, there's no face. So how he knew.
1: <laughs> how do you think that you learn all of this stuff about branding and, and what's off branding? How, how do you think you learn to like curate all of that stuff?
0: Quite common sense though, isn't it? To me, it feels quite natural. Yeah, just... Be a DJ, <laughs> postcode DJ.
1: <laughs> what What do you think's the most difficult thing that you've had to overcome so far in your career?
0: Wow, no one's asked me that before. Interviewing people on radio has been like a big thing for right. me to accomplish and to keep getting better at. Promoting is really difficult too. I think the biggest thing for me is like constantly putting yourself out there, and because I don't have A DJ name that's not me. Like, you know how some people have like a word or whatever and that's who they are. But like, my DJ name's like my name. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like that. I think to constantly be putting myself out there and try to constantly promote myself is like very difficult for me because it doesn't really come that naturally.
1: Yeah.
0: So I think when I do post or whatever, I kind of see it with a different like point of view rather than being like oh it's me i think that yeah when i have like bad days or whatever and then like you're sad in bed then you have to post like oh my god this is the best party ever like come it's like having to constantly push yourself because you're freelance that is something that i'm proud of and to not get discouraged when bad things happen yeah because like i'll have bad sets and stuff and then i'll think oh my god my life's over like people are gonna think i'm shit and whatever it's like people are allowed to have bad days like people have bad days at work all the time like i'm i'm allowed to have like just to not be so hard on myself
1: with the self promotion stuff do you think it's hard because also you work in the thing that you love doing anyway so like Mm. if you aren't dj and you'll probably go to a party yeah you probably know a lot of people there there will probably be promoters there then you're kind of back on the self-promotion thing even though you went out to have fun how how is that
0: yeah, it's it's that's that's it. Also, when I don't have a set, sometimes I feel inclined to go out because it's technically beneficial for me or work wise. Like my so since me and my ex split up, like, I've been going to way more raves and like all of that. There's so many DJs out there that to meet a promoter in like face to face, have a drink, like have a chat or whatever, puts you forefront in their mind to book you. And I'm not saying that's the only reason why I talk to people or anything like that at all. But if you're out and you're active, you know, you're having a good time. People want to be around energy like that. People want to get to know you and stuff like that is hard when I've had like a really long week and then I have like a Friday night off or something. I'm like, I still feel like I need to go out and like either support my friends or whatever. And then and then you think like, oh, my God, I'm just complaining because I have to go to a party and like chat to my friends and get free drinks. That's not a problem. But then. You know, when you're just exhausted. I think for me, lack of sleep is, it's hard. I gotta moisturize, man. <laughs> I gotta keep looking young. Not getting enough sleep.
1: So with the interview and stuff, what was the first radio interview that you did?
0: Oh my God. The first one was, it was Masterpiece. And how
1: and was he that? And was, he
0: was really late, but it wasn't his fault. So at the time it was like an hour show and th- he lives really far and like he had to get the tube, but there was a fire at the tube station. <laughs> and bless him he like took a picture of the sign he was like see i'm not lying and i was like dude it's pine but it was he got there i think quarter two or ten to before the hour was up and i was really stressed about it because i was already nervous and then anything that you do live is just going to be like that right but yeah
1: and how have you how have you like work to improve
0: i listen to my interviews okay so i kind of like mentally make note of like things that i think work or don't work i started off like I said before, it just had questions and then it just would like roll through them. And then it's just like, it's so dry. Like who wants to listen to that? That's so boring. You're not listening to an interview to like just hear all the facts. You're listening to like someone's conversation and personality and stuff. So to kind of have main points to talk about, but then to, to listen, <laughs> listen and respond.
1: <laughs> what are you most proud of about what you've achieved? so far in your career?
0: I think to be at a position now where I quit my job and that was that was scary. Like, I don't remember like the day-to-day fear, <laughs> but like on paper, it is an achievement, which you have done as well. Because um, the, the amount of self-belief that you have to have and the motivation and the like bravery, I suppose, Doing that and then to be self-sufficient and to be at a point now where I can kind of like choose what I do, which I didn't for a long time. I'm really proud of that.
1: And lastly, what does success look like to you?
0: Um, I believe success is not the destination. It's the journey. So for me, I don't know, everything that... Because, you know, all of this like playing these parties, yeah, it's great to say. But for me, it's like... I was scared to promote, and then I promoted, and then moving to book artists and stuff, and I'm constantly trying to grow and make it better to be on a radio station and then be terrified. I couldn't even speak once. I didn't speak until the end of a two-hour mix because I was too scared. To that, to then being a resident and then doing interviews, which I was terrified of doing, it's just those little things that I'm like constantly proving to myself that i can do and like get better at that's success to me i just have to make myself happy really yeah mm-hmm. maybe buy a house that'd be great
1: <laughs> thank you for listening to making conversation with grant bryden featuring oh annie o if you like this episode then please be sure to rate, comment and subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts you can find annie at O annie o on socials and check her monthly shows on Rinse and Foundation FM. You can find me on social media at Grant Bryden. Thank you to Kiki where this series of making conversation was recorded.